listening to the Valley Labor Report, Alabama's only union talk radio program paid for by workers, workers' organizations, progressive nonprofits, no money from the bosses. Um, we got a, a message from Joe Marshall in the Facebook chat, the FMCS, about the, about the idea to have Biden's NLRB mediate a contract between Warrior Med and the UMWA. The FMCS can send a mediator, but the parties have to agree. I've contacted the loser Mo Brooks staff by phone and mail to suggest this and crickets. The FMCS, I had to look this up, is the Federal Mediation and Conciliation Service. Founded in 1947, is an independent agency of the United States government and the nation's largest public agency for dispute resolution and conflict management. Interesting. Yeah, sometimes if like if you if you have a case that goes to arbitration, um, they are often the the agency that sends the arbitrator. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I believe there is at least one other service because um, I do remember from my last contract that uh, the the deal was management and labor would flip a coin to decide which which agency you got. Um, so I know there's at least one other one, uh, but hmm. uh, appreciate Joe's report there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. No surprise, the loser Mo Brooks has yeah. been quiet in his response. Uh, Anthony in the YouTube chat says, showing support for them, uh, presumably for the mine workers, from IATSE Local 18 in Milwaukee. That's exciting. Hell yeah. And just for the record, uh, I know we sometimes give Yankees a hard time on this show because we're, you know, Southern boys born and bred. But that excludes all of our union siblings. (laughs) So all fellow unionists, even if you're Yankees, we love you. Uh, Now, if you're a Yankee and you hate unions, well, then you can definitely but if you yeah but if if you like unions then you're one of the good ones that's right absolutely (laughs) even if you talk a lot faster than us you know you're probably not going to offer sweet tea and biscuits when we come by your house that's fine Mm -hmm. you know you don't have to but right uh, just keep paying those dues keep sending that solidarity there you go there you go um so let's do this we didn't have i was i was planning to do it in the uh in the main show but um but that's fine. It's a. It's not you know super important, it, or it's not a. Well, I mean it's kind of important, but it's it's a more like just kind of frustrating thing. So, it, well anyway, let's do the local news thing. Um, you know, local news is it it is an incredibly important institution, and you know the destruction of local news is is really really detrimental to our ability to know what is going on in our community. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I. I yes. Yes. I mean. I, and I'd be curious, those of you who are listening, you know, tell us in the chat kind of what the state of local news is in your area, because uh, I know for it seems like most Americans, probably overwhelming majority of Americans, 
there actually is no resource to go to. If you want mm-hmm. to find out what's happening at your local school board, your local city council, right. county commission, planning commission, uh, institutions that do have very significant impacts on your life right. as a citizen and, and as a worker, uh, just there is such a lack of coverage. Right. From a 538 article last year, a growing body of research has found that government is worse off when local news suffers. In fact, inadequate local news has been linked to more corruption, less competitive elections, weaker municipal finances, and a prevalence of party-line politicians who won't bring back benefits to their districts. It does get a bad rap, though, sometimes, local news, for reporting on silly things and basically running with any story that they can get their hands on. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, we saw an example of that last week with WBRC in Birmingham. Adam, let's take a listen. Let's take a listen to that clip. Caught on camera, a woman in Centerville is upset after seeing disgusting images on her home surveillance video when a FedEx delivery driver arrived at her home. Yeah, she says the video appears to show the driver throwing her package on the ground, then urinating nearby. Brian Henry has more on this from Bibb County. It happened Wednesday afternoon around 1.30 when a FedEx driver stopped here to deliver a package for the homeowner. Then afterwards, a very shocking situation. The camera on the house captured a disturbing image. The driver urinated in the customer's driveway. Walked over here to my gate and just dumped my package. It damaged the box. Luckily, it was just dog food. Yes, luckily it was just dog food, but it damaged the box. Um... Proceeded to walk over here. Got in the back of the truck, shut the door, and just peed in my driveway. I'd say right here. They did look like the truck was right here, and he did pee at the back of it. So I'm assuming this is the general area. I mean, I was really just baffled. Like, I didn't know what to think at first. I mean, of course, I was, like, ill. I was angry. I tried to get in touch with FedEx. I tried to call them. I tried to figure out if I could email them. I tried to send them a chat on Facebook to no avail. So far, no response from FedEx. And Centerville, Brian Henry, WBRC, Fox 6 News, on your side. Whew. Wow. You know, first off, like, let's talk about the fake outrage that they, a disturbing image Really? Was it really actually disturbing seeing the back of a guy as he takes a piss? Like, is that actually, are you really disturbed by that? And the lady also said that he, quote, threw the package over the fence. For folks that y'all are, folks that are just listening, like on the podcast, and you can't see this, he, he pretty easily said it on the other side of the gate, you know. Like, he didn't make sure there was a pillow bo- on the bottom of it, but it, he did not throw it. He said it on the other side of the gate. I, I cannot, for the life of me, understand the mindset that you've got to be of this woman who calls the news on a guy who just had to take a piss. But even more than that, like, I can't understand the mindset of a journalist to take this story to air. Uh, I guess there weren't enough car crashes and arrests that day. That's just crazy. I mean, what are journalists supposed to be? 
They're not supposed to be tattletales. People who punch down report on every uncouth thing that some worker does. They're supposed to speak truth to power. They're supposed to investigate politicians, bosses, even corrupt union officials. You know, that th- there should be reporting on that. We should know what our union officials are doing, and that's a legitimate play. But putting this guy on blast because he took a piss? It's, I mean, it's disgraceful. It is, it is, it is disgraceful. Like, if she's really that upset about it, she can take a hose. She can wait for it to rain. (laughs) I mean, animals are going to piss in your yard and on your driveway all the time. It does not matter. It does not matter. And sure, like, it's, it was, I mean, you know, we can say it was uncouth of him to do. Who cares? Who cares? I mean, there are plenty of real stories that you could have made out of this. Right. How long are FedEx drivers expected to drive without a brake? Do they have air conditioners? How much money do they make? Right. If they don't have air conditioners, they might have be having to drink water all the time to keep cool. Yeah, I mean, we've this this happened during a heat wave. Right. It's July in Alabama. It's hot, it's humid. We don't know how often this worker gets to make a stop to use the restroom. We don't know what the monitoring is. Right. Like, you know, how, how strictly does his management monitor when he does stop to use the restroom? How, how much does his management How much does his management make? How much do FedEx super drive, uh, supervisors make? Do they get breaks? Do the workers get breaks? Do, they have, do their routes have designated places to use the restroom? How do the working conditions compare to UPS, a union employer? Have there ever been any government response to long working hours without breaks at FedEx? I don't have answers to all of these questions, but those are actual legitimate questions, investigations that you can make from this story. Were you so journalistically inclined? But no, Brian Henry at WBRC took the easy way out running a customer complaint on a low-wage worker who had to take a piss when he should have just told her to hose it off if she really cared that much. Really, really, really pretty gross. Um, I reached out to Brian Henry to ask if FedEx had gotten back with him, and he said that there was no response or indication that the FedEx employee has been disciplined, which, good. Uh, I also asked him if he was proud to have done this story and if he thinks it was (laughs) a good use of his time and WBRC's resources, and this is what he said to that. Quote, I'm not sure I would say it's a story I'm proud to have done. I've done so many stories over a 36-year career in five markets. They all sort of blend together for me at this point. Great. Come on, Brian. Do better. Do better. Love it. Uh, You know, I I try to be as sympathetic as possible to local news reporters because I know that their working conditions are less than ideal. Um, I worked pretty closely with a number of reporters uh, when I was a staffer uh, as a labor organizer. You know, I frequently reached out to them, sent them press releases, uh, conducted interviews with them, did plenty of off-the-record conversations. So I know that, you know, it's not unusual for them to be given these urgent deadlines. You know, mm-hmm. they I knew when the reporters were calling me at like 2.30 in the afternoon 
they were desperate to have something ready by five or six. Right. And, you know, honestly, they weren't even that concerned about what it was I was going to say, as long as I was willing to go on camera and give them some content. Right. Uh, which, obviously, that worked well for me in some cases. <laughs> I was able to advance uh, worker stories and issues that were important to us mm-hmm. uh, by taking advantage of that. But I also know that a lot of these uh, local news folks... They're not, uh, how can I put this? Um, They're not all um, the most journalistically inclined folks, Mm -hmm. I guess would be the nice way to put that. Um, And the local news stations are not necessarily looking for hard-hitting investigative journalism. Uh, I ran into some reporters that I worked with here in the Huntsville area who actually wanted to do hard-hitting investigative journalism, Mm -hmm. uh, who were frequently stymied by their own management at the station, Mm. um, or when they were facing obstacles from local government, such as Mayor Teargas Tommy Battle, uh, to name one, uh, Elisa Farrell, school board president of the Huntsville City Schools Board of Education, to name another. you know, when they ran into obstacles from these sorts of people, the station would throw them under the bus. Mm. So, you know, even even those like young reporters who were on fire, wanted to do real groundbreaking stuff, wanted to speak truth to power, as you said earlier, um, you know, they, they ran into obstacles. You get thrown under the bus by management uh, or in some cases even disciplined by management. Suddenly your urge to do such investigation goes away. Right. Uh, and without the protection of a union, uh, because, you know, these folks need unions, too. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, you know, certainly in our area, the reporters and other employees at these st- news stations are not unionized. And so, again, they're taken advantage of. And the business model of local news appears to be basically um, – do whatever the local law enforcement community and real estate developer community want you to do. Right. Uh, that seems to guide the content, and that's why it's you know nothing but arrest reports and car crashes um, and property development, always framed in the most you know uh, positive light towards the developers. And any story regarding crime or, or criminal justice. They might as well be stenographers for the police. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will never forget the June 2020 police riot here in Huntsville. As I witnessed the reporter on the ground and their camera footage being contradicted live on air by an anchor back at the studio. <laughs> who was literally telling us a different reality from what his own colleague was broadcasting. Don't believe your lying eyes on the screen. Listen to what I have to say, Mr. News Anchor. Uh, you know, that that stood out to me, and I, I don't think I'll ever forget that one, just because it was, it was so dystopian uh, yeah. to be, like, over the top, really. Um, but I, I guess I'll get off my soapbox there. But, you know, again, there's... There are some good people doing good work, or at least attempting to do good work, in Mm -hmm. the existing media apparatus. Uh, But local news has shrunk. Local news has 
shrunk down to mostly a handful of television stations which do news-ish entertainment. Yeah. And we are all that much worse for it because uh, we need people reporting on what's happening in local government. We need people reporting on local issues relevant to working class people and to our communities and neighborhoods. Um, Not garbage like this. And and we certainly don't need the punching down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's one thing if you're not able to do any big, hard-hitting story. Right. And it's another to actively use your platform to punch down um, at some, you know, random worker. Right. Uh, and, who's, and Who's not even actually, you know, it would be one thing maybe if this random worker was like, I don't know, berating black people, calling them the N-word. You know, that would be one thing, theoretically. But it, this wasn't even that. This was a guy who was working long hours for low wages and had to take a piss um, yeah, and did yeah. and did so presumably in the best place that he could, the most discreet place that he could. Um, I don't know. It's just it's really frustrating. Yeah, for sure. And, and you know, when local reporters do good things, we we have we, we, we celebrate yeah, we, them. Uh, Emily yeah. Mosner at WHNT and Megan Plotka at WAFF and Madison Neal at mm-hmm. WHNT. They've all done some really good labor stuff recently. Right. I just sent a message last week after I saw Madison Neal's report on WHNT regarding the Starbucks. Or, I mean, regarding the KFC mm-hmm. worker walkout. And yeah. said thank you for centering worker voices in a worker story. Yes. Um, yeah, that was great. You know, and I think that's important that we mm-hmm. reinforce uh, when habits. we when we see <laughs> good coverage happening, let's right. reach out and, and, you know, express support for that and engage with it. You know, since, of course, that's mm-hmm. that's what management's caring about. How many clicks yeah. are they getting? How many shares right. are they getting? Um, you know, let's do our best to support those who are supporting us. Uh, <laughs> but we will definitely call out the bullshit when we see it. The last thing that uh, that I wanted to do here in overtime, and then we'll wrap, is this. Uh, I, I thought it would be pretty funny for us as union workers, union members, um, people who have been union officers, to react to Jordan Peterson's message to CEOs. Um, now, Adam, you are you are you're pretty offline, generally speaking. But but you you had an idea of who Jordan Peterson was because you you said something about because I was listening to him getting the clips uh, as I came in uh, to this to the studio this morning. Um, so so you you do know who Jordan Peterson is? Yeah, I mean, I hey, I can't say I've ever listened to a full <laughs> video of his, or mm-hmm. you know, certainly I've never read his books. Um, I know of him. The general vibe I get from him is that he's kind of a mixture of like standard self-help geared towards young white men primarily mm-hmm. with a mixture of just totally batshit reactionary politics and uh, especially around masculinity and feminism. That's that's my read on him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm coming. I'm coming in. Mostly blind. Um, yeah, I went through. You know, I went through a phase um, back in the day um, where I I, I kind of went through like a uh, pro Medicare for all, anti SJW phase. I think as any as any young white guy does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like a, well, everybody comes to their politics um, 
through from for different yeah. reasons. And so and I was actually I was actually a, a, for a while a pretty big fan of Jordan Peterson, you know, um, and and it was I did always think that you know occasionally he would kind of go off on the rails and but he seemed like since coming back from his benzo's addiction he he just he seems different he seems like less he seems less coherent less stable less um earnest and and just way more mad like just just um and not even like i i don't even know how to describe it not even mad in like a righteous way but like mad in a um old man yelling at clouds like, a like bitter, bitter like yeah just a bitter biting anger at the world i it's just it's, so, it's really strange so um, let me ask you like this and this is kind of just my perception from the outside um looking in is that he just tried to position himself as like kind of like a pop intellectual type oh like, yeah 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 like he's always he could be the right. the, the chomsky or uh right. zizek or somebody for the right wing yes. anti-feminist crowd for sure for so that's sure. that's kind of what he's aiming for i suppose yeah yeah okay. yeah i think so yeah so let's play this first clip and um and and see what you think about it it's like near the beginning of of the uh of his message to CEOs. Okay. We are in the midst of a culture war. Although it started in the universities, particularly in France, through the open portal of the damnable Yale, and then into the rest of the institutes of higher education, it is not only the faculty and administrators of our colleges and universities who are at fault, those charged with the privilege and responsibility of running the corporate world are lining up to kowtow at the D.I.E. altar, diversity, inclusivity, and equity, at a rate that exceeds and with a cowardice comparable to that characterizing the most contemptible of pencil-necked academics. So that, that was the intro to the thing. Okay, so... Culture war allegedly started in French universities, mm-hmm, imported mm-hmm. to Yale. Yeah. It's now infecting the CEOs of America. Yes. Yeah. Um, I think we can start with a point of agreement, though. Uh, Yale is contemptible. Sure. Yeah. We can, we can agree mean, on that. Not a fan. Not a big fan. Uh, CEOs being cowards. Okay. Yeah. I can roll with that. All right. All right. Yeah. Let's go to the next clip. I had hoped that CEOs in particular, evil capitalists all, would reject this nonsense, this idiot postmodernism with its denial of any objective world, divine or material, this appalling and murderous Marxist wolfery in sheep's clothing. But it turns out that the left's ability to weaponize guilt and the contempt that far too many in the business world have for ideas have proved an unstoppable combination. So, uh, all right, I'm getting the sense that this is, we throw buzzwords together. Yeah. We throw, we throw a lot of academic-sounding language together to make ourselves sound <clears throat> like we know what we're talking about. Cause, um, because Marxism very much does not posit that there is no real-world material or ephemeral. Right, it's um, actually materialist. Uh, that's yeah. sort of the foundation. <laughs> yeah, the uh, found- it's, it's yeah, just, the foundation you know, is that there is a real world, and we need to we need to uh, <laughs> we, we need to you know agree with it or not. 
Marxism is a materialist, modernist, not postmodern, um, you know, view of history, historical right. materialism. Analytical framework, philosophy, yeah. however you want to couch that. Postmodernism, Marxism, not the same thing. Actually, very contradictory. Um, <clears throat> also. And, but, but so he's also saying that CEOs are like so guilty that they're kowtowing to the postmodern Marxists. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm confused as to what guilt right. they may have. Now, should they feel guilty for exploiting <laughs> workers and for destroying our planet right. and uh, putting our species on a path to extinction? Yes, they very much should feel guilty about that, but um, I haven't seen much evidence of that. And uh, certainly don't see them pandering to a philosophy that literally does not exist. Yeah. So here's uh, the in the next in the next bit he's going to start talking about some of the ways that they are kowtowing. So let's let's oh, play okay. that. Yeah, yeah, prove your case, bud. And even worse than the dreadful HR slash DIE combination, perhaps if that is even possible, is the new corporate and government craze for environment, social, and governance dicta, so-called. ESGs, as every idiot fad needs an oh-so-in-the-know acronym. As one set of corporate consulting half-wits and moral posturers put it, quote, investors are increasingly applying these non-financial factors as part of their analysis process to identify material risks and growth opportunities. ESG metrics are not commonly part of mandatory financial reporting, though companies are increasingly making disclosures in their annual report or in a standalone sustainability report. Non-financial factors applied to identify material risks, standalone sustainability reports, all this smacks of central planning, not to mention a low, shallow, self-justifying moralizing, which can and does in no wise stand in for genuine ethical action. So you're telling me what is like definitionally neoliberal tactics, right, of, of using the marketplace is the same as central planning? Mm-hmm. Because some companies are reporting on their environmental impact, um, which, by the way, companies should have to report on their env- environmental impact. Um, right. That would be my opinion. I think that's a very reasonable thing to 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 ask. Um, you know, I'm not really that concerned about it as an investor because I don't have enough money to be considered right. an investor. Um, you know, but yeah, it's not a bad idea that there be some accounting publicly right. of what companies are doing to the planet. Yeah, and you know, I, I I do there there is the bit about central planning was very strange but there's a certain amount of truth there that he's getting at that is the ESG stuff is obviously it's no substitute for like you know real ethical behavior by a company um yeah but it's 
it's bizarre to me that he sees this as so important that he's seeing ESG environmental and social and government's impacts reporting as just the reporting of it not even like necessarily the changing of it just saying like oh this is this is what we're doing and and of course since it's not since it's not mandatory they're able to to skew these numbers in in ways and pick what numbers they right. want to say in, in the ways that they want it's bizarre to me that he is saying he is acting like this is a huge issue, and it's and it's bad that it's bad and it's a big issue uh, because it's just greenwashing, basically. Right? Yeah. I mean, if he were to actually talk to anyone who is an actual leftist, not just the ones like in his imagination, but you know, legitimately people on the left, none of them would would I don't think would say, "Oh yeah, ESG is a game changer." Right. This this little reporting that they're having to do that's. Oh yeah, that's accomplishing our goals. Right. Come on now. I mean, and what I what I'm picking up here is whether it's the ESG stuff or talking about DEI and and how that's fused with HR departments is kind of picking aspects of the current neoliberalism. Mm-hmm. Aspects that folks on both the right and the left would have issues with. So he's picking those out. So there, you know, like you said, there's elements of truth, like any good propagandist. Picking those those elements out of neoliberalism that folks on all sides would find objectionable, or on most sides would find objectionable, uh, but then ascribing it to not neoliberalism, but to some conglomeration of leftism with mm-hmm. postmodernism. With you know neo, I mean it's it's a very um, bizarre way of looking at reality. Um, as someone you know, I I would consider myself to be on the left, uh, you know, in the Marxist tradition, the materialist tradition. So for me, this this just it, it all sounds sounds like you just made up some shit based on a few random wikipedia pages honestly like you're just pulling out some some buzzwords um like you've heard just enough to be dangerous in your ignorance right um that's that's the vibe i'm getting it is it 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 is really weird and that and that's what he's you know, and and, and, and he's going to talk some more about HR in a bit, but we have got real criticisms of the way that these management, this is coming from the top, this management branded diversity training, this Robin DiAngelo, white fragility stuff. Right, the We've consultant got the consultant grift. class, the, yeah, we have real critiques of that, and you can go back and, and from a, from from a working class perspective from a perspective that the these are ways that the CEO the owning class the bosses are trying to whitewash to greenwash to launder their public image to make themselves seem in the public eye less evil as a way to make money, (laughs) as a way to better facilitate their capitalist endeavors, not as a way to actually make the world better, not as a way to actually make their workplaces more inclusive, safer for people, uh, make sure that they have better working conditions. It is simply as a way to, for the least investment possible, to make people shut up. 
and to buy their products and to not organize for better. That's what that's what it's all about. And these and and we see it in in union busting tactics now as well. We've we're seeing people coming from a from I mean we we saw it at REI they opened their anti-union podcast with an indigenous land recognition and reciting their pronouns. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean which you know whatever if you want to do those things that's that's fine. I don't have an issue with that, but they're trying to launder their reputation and their neoliberal capitalist boss pro boss anti-worker political agenda through woke language and and to to make them see themselves seem more ethical and like they care and all this and it's just it's just nonsense it's all nonsense yeah and it it goes back to actually the discussion in the youtube chat uh among strom and rai rai and maybe some Mm -hmm. others about this very topic Mm -hmm. and the ways in which um this sort of rhetoric is used by capital to fight solidarity um you know and i think like you said, there, there's absolutely critique um, of the you know diversity hustle, more mm-hmm. or less. If you want, to, I mean, I think would be a, a good name for it. Um, as you said, it, it's a way to launder reputations. So it's, it's a grift <laughs> for some right. people. Um, it's a way to actually counter real solidarity yeah. because. HR departments are not going to bring us racial justice, right? right? I mean, it's not going to bring us the sort of solidarity that we need between race and gender and religion and, uh, you know, nationality. We need real solidarity across those lines that some of which are real and some of which are, you know, artificial. Uh, right. But even if they're artificial, still have real effects. Right. Um, but that is and so I think it's just interesting to me that there are people out there who are getting their their ideas about all this from a guy like Jordan Peterson because they're coming out of it so con, so misinformed about mm. the state of politics in this country and the state of ideologies in this country, the state of workplaces, the state of workplaces, yeah, I, I mean. Yeah, well, you know, speaking about the the HR and the state of workplaces, let's play the that 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 clip about HR running the company um, because that is that is really kind of the the shtick that a lot of people on the right are um, are running with right now. That that CEOs, poor CEOs, executives are being held hostage by. Um, these super powerful people in HR. So let's let's see let's let's see that. CEOs, how can you not see? Oh yes, there's that contempt for ideas again. There's that guilty pandering to the utopian leftist mob. The DIE mandates and ESG disclosures and the massive administrative bureaucracy that thrives on such pseudo work is precisely equivalent to the worst sort of fifth column. You CEOs are elevating the least competent people in your corporations. That's you, human resources personnel, to the highest positions of decision-making and company planning. 
turning over your hiring decisions to those deluded enough to think that diversity is a substitute for ability and to believe that equity merely means equality of opportunity. What does it mean? How about you take the time to find out? So see, you can you can see there that he really th- like he really thinks that HR departments are, are like running the country. Um, That's just which is a, a absolute joke in yeah. contradicting real life. I'm sorry. We we just talked. I just talked uh, last week about how I met this person who was in HR who was despondent at the role that she was playing in the company uh, because she had come up through college with a sort of idea, maybe along the lines of what he was thinking, that of what he's trying to put out there, that as an HR department worker, as an HR manager, you are going to be able to help the workers. You are going to be able to help them advocate for themselves. You are going to be able to be a resource for humans at the companies that you work at. But what she found as an HR worker is that she became a cudgel for the boss. She, The only thing that she's been able to do is inform people that they will not get their raises, inform people that their health care benefits are going to be cut, inform people that they are going to have to return to the office before they wanted to, that just delivering bad news for the boss and covering for him or her. And so, you know, the idea... The executives are being held hostage by HR is just silly. They are hiring these people, even even people with maybe potentially good politics, as a shield for themselves. Right. Everyone who's ever worked in a workplace big enough to have an HR department knows that the HR department is there to give you a runaround. Mm-hmm. That's their primary task is give you a runaround. Um deliver bad news that's 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 the majority of your role right uh now he said something about i mean well just really quick let's look at the the spokesperson for starbucks who also happens to be the uh the diversity equity and inclusion person at starbucks uh robbie red no reggie reggie something or another he is in four he is he is deputized to attack workers in the media. That's like his whole job now. That's his whole job now, this guy, to such an extent that he called us up after one of our, after we covered the Memphis 7, talking about how, oh, you know, they actually deserve to be fired or whatever. This is this guy's whole job, and he's supposed to be like a diversity guy. Yeah, how does attacking workers promote diversity, equity, and inclusion? Um, Which, that, there it is, in the nutshell, uh, there's the contradiction and how it's bullshit. Uh, now, when Peterson said something about um, corporations hiring incompetent people and promoting incompetent people, well, okay, yeah. <laughs> that's always happened. That's always happened. I mean, the Peter principle, that's been known for, for a long, long time. Uh, most people, <laughs> most working people know plenty of folks who are in management who are total morons. Yeah. And in some cases, that's why they got promoted to management, right? Because right. they would just do as they were told. They didn't mind, you know, compromising their ethics. Um, they weren't going to make any waves. Like, that's... No, that's new. Um, 
something there was a comment from Rai Rai that I really like saying that the right wing doesn't like wokeness because they see it as a as unifying uh, disparate groups of people, while neoliberals try to use it to outflank labor on civil rights issues. It leads mm. to this bizarre stuff. And mm-hmm. I think that's uh, yeah, that's very true. That's that's a good comment. Um, and I think that's where sometimes we get bogged down in these debates um, because you have it coming from different directions for different agendas. Right. In the next clip, uh, Jordan Peterson, um, in his uh, free market worship, um, which is funny because he's supposed to be like a Christian or something, but um, in his worship of the market, he misquotes Adam Smith. And so that's, that's pretty funny. So, so let's, let's play this, this clip about the invisible hand. We have a decentralized free market economy so that the invisible hand which is actually a gigantic distributed computational system, calculating adaptation to the transforming horizon of the future. So that the invisible hand, the free choice of product and occupation characterizing billions of people, can guide us as unerringly and selfishly, thank God for that, as possible into the future. And this simply cannot be replaced by the utopian hand-waving of centralist, globalist planners, even if they are blessed with the charisma and brilliance of that consummate conference organizer, Klaus Schwab. I also want to make note of the fact that this really feels like a spoken word poem kind of thing, which is funny because of like right-wing disdain for anything that might feel, you know, artsy-fartsy. Because there's definitely some really intentional alliterations and uh, wordplay and, you know, very, very much like you could imagine this shortened, obviously, at an open mic night. Uh, as a spoken word kind of uh, rant poem. Yeah, well, it's pretty abstract because he's just throwing random phrases and names and and, uh, ideologies together in a way that does not actually compute. Uh, You know, he's, he's that classic dumb guy who knows how to try to sound smart for other dumb guys. That's kind of how he comes across to me. And, you know, I'm trying... Obviously, I'm biased, uh, but I'm trying to hear him. I'm trying to hear what he has to say because obviously he reaches people. Uh, he has a following. And, you know, it seems to me that a lot of young men who are going through, you know, politically ex- political exploration or mm-hmm. just kind of trying to find themselves in the world and what they believe and what they think, uh, he really seems to have targeted that audience. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I feel so like any any degree of like real scrutiny, though, and any, on the substance of what he's saying can't hold up. And, you know, the idea that that, you know, the market is, is taking us unerringly into the future or as unerringly as possible is just bizarre to anybody that has spent any amount of time in, you know, uh, the real world workplace that the free market creates. Um, pretty weird thing to imagine that this is the future that we have been brought unerringly to by the free market. Um, but he also he mentions the invisible hand in a way that was uh, 
the phrase was coined by Adam Smith, and he's using it in a, the totally wrong way. So let's let's check out because this is something that Chomsky hits on a lot. Um, so I, I pulled this clip from from an interview with Chomsky, uh, and and let's play that and figure out what the invisible hand is actually about. Well, everyone's heard of the phrase invisible hand, but almost no one knows how he used it. Uh, the term invisible hand actually does appear in his classic Wealth of Nations once. It appears in an argument against what's now called neoliberalism. Uh, classical, what's now called neoclassical economics that we're supposed to worship. So we're supposed to worship Adam Smith and neoclassical economics, and they radically differ on the notion invisible hand. Uh, Adam Smith was concerned, as David Ricardo later was, uh, that if there was free movement of capital and free import of goods, uh, he was concerned about England. He said England will suffer uh, because uh, British capitalists will invest abroad uh, and they'll import from abroad and that'll harm the English economy. Ricardo had similar concerns. Uh, and Adam Smith then gave an argument. It was not a very good argument, but his argument was that uh, English investors will prefer to invest in England because of what something called a home bias. They'll have a preference for investing close by. And therefore, as if by an invisible hand, uh, England will be saved from the menace of free capital movement and uh, free imports. That's invisible hand. Uh, what, what's that got to do with uh, uh, the Cato Institute or the, or the modern uh, enthusiasm about uh, free capital flow and uh, um, you know having uh, U.S. corporations uh, invest in China so they can send stuff back here to sell cheap, uh, exploiting Chinese workers? That's not Adam Smith, uh, and it goes right across the board. So I think that that uh, you know I, I, that's just one one thing that he clearly. You know, has not read kind of the source yeah. material there. Well, I mean, that's not the only thing, because one thing I am familiar with is I know he had a debate. Um, with Zizek. Yes, he had a deb- debate with him, and if I'm not mistaken, he, he he certainly revealed in his performance that he had never actually read Marx, mm-hmm. but I think he actually came out and said that, that he hadn't yeah. actually read any Marx. So, you know, for a man who loves to call... All sorts of things Marxist, it might help if you actually know what that means. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, by the way, we have a call. Well, never mind. We did have a caller on the line. Looks like we lost our caller. Uh, so if you were trying to reach us, give us a call. Um, I'll put you on. Sorry if I overlooked you. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw, I saw that, and I was going to get through this and then get to him. We've only got a couple more clips left. But, um, but yeah, if you want to call in just a few more minutes but yeah so given all of this you know all, all these problems that he has with ceos here is where he begins to give them some advice let's go to that next clip why are you kowtowing to those who despise your companies and your accomplishments perhaps it's genuine guilt the conscientious strivers who often come to occupy positions of authority in conservative corporate institutions are dutiful, industrious, orderly, and hardworking. This also makes them guilt-prone. Well, there, he's, he's throwing back to old Maggie Thatcher. There yeah. is no alternative. Evil capitalism, the best we can do. Yeah. <laughs> How's that for a slogan? Yeah. <laughs> 
that I mean, you know, I don't know. That's pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> and the idea, you know, again, he's saying, why would you throw away or disavow everything that you've done? The thing that he's saying is indicative of their disavowal, again, is them using HR departments as cover for their evil capitalism that they're doing, right? right. That is the thing that he's saying is them disavowing their, you know, right. capitalist And most of the CEOs who he may be referring to would probably laugh their ass off hearing mm-hmm. this video. Yeah. Like this this guy doesn't even get what we're doing. Right. He's not in on the he's not in on the game. Yeah. And uh, let's play this next clip. And so CEOs, you need to shed your guilt. You are evil capitalists just as charged. You've worked your whole life to be precisely that. Are you going to capitulate now in the face of social criticism and disavow everything you have done? Instead, you should wear that badge proudly, evil capitalist, recognizing explicitly that there is simply no better alternative. Really, I've... I've That's a pretty interesting description of CEOs yeah, I, and bosses. I can't say I've run into a lot of guilt-prone bosses. <laughs> um, in fact, their lack of guilt is what helped them rise to the top. Right. <laughs> Well, speaking of rising to the top, he feels pretty confident that they deserve to be there. And let's play this final clip. And even more so, as it's too much for CEOs and other denizens of the executive suite to request. So, stop saving the world with the centralizers, globalists, narcissists, and eternal builders of the Tower of Babel. Stand forth instead, as I said as proudly evil capitalists. Do your fiduciary duty. Provide your customers and clients with what they need and want. And let the great invisible hand, that immense computational device, play its necessary role. Make your enterprise productive and profitable. Make yourself generous and abide by the dictates of your conscience. Do enough signal good so that your great wealth rests lightly on your shoulders. This is a more difficult task, take note, than generating that wealth itself. Put the human resources DIE personnel back in their place. Stop hosting faux-democratic town halls. Since when do you care what the stock boys think? In a few decades, if they have the fortitude, ability, and industriousness, they will be sitting in your hard-won place and making the decisions that you are currently charged with making. Did you not earn that right? Then why forego it under moral pressure? And if the answer is guilty conscience, then straighten yourself out. Get your oppressive superego under control. Or... Stop doing those possibly terrible and unworthy things. So that's pretty interesting. Oh, the stock boys. <laughs> I mean, there's just there's so much there. Maybe I should have cut that up. But the, you know, the idea that they earned their place, the idea that you, the the idea that 
that the bosses should listen to their workers is spewed with such contempt, like contempt for the idea that workers ought to have any say in their workplace is just astounding. Like Most of the people that are going to be listening to this are going to be workers. Most of the people that are going to be listening to him are not going to be bosses. They're going to be people who go into work, who clock in and clock out and have to answer to somebody. How do you not hear what he's saying? And feel and, that and, contempt. And feel that contempt for you. Yeah. As the metaphorical stock boy. How do you not... like? How do you not feel the contempt that he has for the order takers? Oh, you lords and nobles, how dare you ever listen to a peasant? And again, he's saying like these faux democratic town halls. He almost seems like he gets it for a second by saying faux democratic town halls because these democrat these these democratic town halls that people like Howard Schultz and all these others are putting on are just that. They're faux. They're bullshit. They're yeah, bullshit. That's true. Totally true. That's they are just a mask. They're just a shield, something that they can point to to say, look how progressive and woke I am. You don't need higher wages because you got to talk to me at a town hall. Or better yet, you got to have an empty chair represent you at our uh, <laughs> at our board meetings like Starbucks does. It's just a game. It's just a game. And the... Uh, it's it's just bizarre. And then, you know, the, the, the bit about, okay, the stock boy might be taking your place uh, in so many years if they're industri- industrious enough. I mean, there are only so many CEO positions. They, they will not all be CEOs, no matter how industrious well, they are. Well, folks like to think they're the elite of the elite. And I imagine, like you said, he's he's – the majority of the people who are going to listen to this video are probably just like the majority of the people in this country, which are working class. But I think he – my guess is he's trying to kind of talk to them as if, hey, if you're not elite yet, you could be. Right. You know, you you could be one of these elite evil capitalists, and you, you should be proud of that. Yeah. It's just – I don't know. It's bizarre. It, um, it is, and I, I – you know, this is probably the most I've really engaged with Jordan Peterson content. Uh, can't say I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, the fact that this guy has an audience, um, quite quite a disturbing reflection of the state of our public dialogue. So here's where we'll end it for if, – if, if there's been any Jordan Peterson fans that have made it this far, that made it through a 30-minute critique of, of – of his message to CEOs. I appreciate your time. I really do. I appreciate you, unlike Jordan Peterson, believing that the input of workers, of people who are at the bottom rung, people like me and Adam, uh, that what we have to say is important enough to listen to. Jordan Peterson doesn't think that. And what I would want to say to you is that What you have to say about the work that you do does matter. I believe that the people who put in the work, the people like down in Brookwood, the coal miners who are on strike, the people who actually bring the coal out of the ground, they should have some say over their workplace. 
the Starbucks baristas who we're about to go see down in Scottsboro, who the company is retaliating against them while they're hiding behind a progressive veneer through these Democratic town halls. The Starbucks baristas who actually make you your coffee should have some say in the running of their business. You, whatever work that you do, because you're almost certainly a worker and you're not a boss if you're listening to this, just by the nature of statistics and, uh, and, and how many workers and how many bosses there are, the workers who actually do the work, the workers who make the world run, the workers who run the businesses, and you could do it without your boss, and you do it without your boss every day, I'm sure, in most workplaces. You deserve a say, and it's not bad for you to have a say. In fact, it might even make your business more profitable for you to have some amount of say. And even if it doesn't make it more profitable, it will probably make it more productive. And even if it doesn't do that, productivity and profitability are not the end-all be-all. I don't think that. I think that worker human well-being is going to be the end-all be-all. And that's what we should be striving towards. And workers having a say in their workplace is going to do more of that. And all of this that he's talking about, the HR departments, the woke uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, the environmental, social, and governance stuff, all of this is a veneer that bosses are trying to put over their businesses to try to shield themselves from public backlash about the way that they treat their workers and the things that they try to do to their consumers by giving them unsafe products and giving workers unsafe working conditions. That's not actually what the left or workers would advocate is for these management initiatives. It's for workers to have a say. And you can do that through unionization. You can do that without your boss's permission. You can do that with your coworkers uh, and take some amount of control back from the bosses because they haven't earned it <laughs> and they don't deserve it. That's going to be it, I think. I don't have anything else. I, I just wanted to give another shout-out to the Scottsboro Starbucks workers GoFundMe. Um, let me see if I can give you guys the URL. Uh, I think Jacob already put it in the chat. But as we mentioned, there a couple of our folks have been terminated, uh, almost certainly in retaliation for their union organizing activities. And so... Um, if you can spare a couple bucks, that would be great. Uh, I will put the link in the YouTube chat. Yeah, and the and they've got a smaller link that I'll read off to you. It is bit b i t dot l y forward slash Scott Spurrowed hyphen relief. B i t dot l y forward slash Scott hyphen relief. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. Yeah. If you've got a couple bucks you could spare, that would be great. Uh, I think it's important that when our fellow workers stand up and take a risk, that we have their back because corporations like Starbucks are counting on us to not do that. Yeah. So it's really important. Uh, and I just want to thank everyone who's tuned in today and everyone who's been uh, chatting today. Really appreciate your stuff. As always, I learned from your commentary. Uh, I encourage you to keep it coming. We'll see y'all next week.